Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Brother Davis here, and uh, I said this last Wednesday night, he just, um, like we try to do from time to time, just steal away to a quiet place and uh, spend some time, and uh, not just alone, but just to spend some time with the Lord. And and so I've tried my very best to leave him alone, not according to Justin, of course, but um, I've been tapping into uh, spending as, all the time that I possibly could. I've enjoyed the last several days and the times that we've had together, and I appreciate the fact that he's with us tonight. I didn't lean on him today, but I did invite him to speak in this service, and and uh, he willingly agreed to do that. I I really f- appreciate what I felt and heard Sunday. Amen. I'm not just talking about a man preaching. I certainly appreciated the presentation. Amen. Someone said there's a there's a reason why chicken is five dollars at Chick Fil A and fifteen dollars at Caraba. The presentation goes a long way. So I we had a fifteen dollar by the way. Uh, presentation at least Sunday morning but I appreciate the spirit that the word was delivered in and I I I said this Sunday and I just concur I I know I say it a lot but I don't feel like that we just randomly find ourselves like feathers blown in the wind here this evening but I believe with ordered steps God brings us to places and moments in time and I have incredibly privileged to have brother davis with us and i want us to stand just in honor to um it's all right to honor him as a man but we appreciate the office that he holds and i certainly appreciate his friendship would you make brother davis welcome to the pulpit today would you clap your hands to the lord everybody let's give god praise jesus we worship you We bless your name, God. We bless your name. We bless your name. Uh, we'll be going home in just a couple of days, and I want to say uh, this evening, uh, it's been a privilege to be here in service with you guys this past week. Last Wednesday, enjoyed the teaching uh, of Brother Boyd, and this Sunday morning as well, and it was also an honor to be in service with you all. Sunday morning, and again tonight, and last Wednesday night. Um, I mentioned it Sunday. I appreciate people uh, that pay attention to detail, and your pastor and Sister Boyd are tremendous uh, people of God. We love them. We love them so much, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have been around him for the last several days and be able to talk and hear him talk and I feel like I'm going home a better person than when I came down to Florida. And uh, so it's been a a privilege, not only that, but to also be in service and to worship with you all people. Um, Sometimes I act a little bit younger than I really am. But I just want to say that you guys rock, okay? I love this church. I love being with y'all, and it's been a privilege. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 9? We're going to dive in here tonight. It's kind of a lengthy passage that I'll read. I'll not talk too much because we're going to get back into it again. And I want to ask God to bless his word here in a few minutes to our hearts, our spirits. I, I I never like to come to church and then leave with the same weight leave different than the way that I came. I want to challenge somewhere in that service. I want God to challenge me, whether it's in the worship or the preaching or typically it's a combination of both. 
but I want something to happen to me. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, and when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them, and immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked his disciples, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, and they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and he came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I want to talk to you tonight for a few minutes about the dangers of a frail faith. I've given, you can be seated. Let me just go ahead and start right here. And before we do this, could we just lift our hands and ask God to bless his word to our spirit? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your power. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your goodness, for your presence that's awesome in this place tonight. I pray that you bless every mind and every heart here tonight, God, for us to be able to hear what your word is saying to us. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would let this word get into our spirit and take root there, God, and let it blossom. In the name of Jesus, God, we are kept by your word. Help us to hear it tonight and hide it in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we bless your name, God, as you bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, thank God for his word. I've given much of my ministry to the topic of faith and... uh, I'm very intrigued by the topic, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about it again this evening. The book of Deuteronomy, uh, if you're a note taker, that's fine. Uh, You can keep your Bible open because I'm going to refer to this passage that we just read again. But the book of Deuteronomy is a sort of a farewell address from Moses to the people of Israel. And in that address, he gives the description of the land of promise that I believe is very applicable to the way of the Christian life, right? I do not believe that the promised land is representative of heaven. I mean, I appreciate the good old country song, when we cross over Jordan, I'm sorry, but we crossed over Jordan when we were saved, right? The reason I say that is because Moses calls it a land that flows with milk and honey. There is a provision of God that is there in the promised land. So the promised land mirrors our walk with God once we have been born of water and spirit and we enter into uh, a saving relationship with God. But he also tells us in Deuteronomy 11 that it was also a land of hills and valleys. And we also understand that there were walled cities and there's giants. Now, land, uh, uh, lands of hills and valleys and giants and walls and stuff is not going to be in heaven, right? So this becomes a, a representation of our walk with God. So in life, we experience these ups and downs, these good times, these bad times, trials, blessings, and so forth. Uh, it, it takes a vibrant faith, however. It takes a growing faith to be able to navigate life's terrain. Today, uh, or this evening, I'd like to be able to address some of the dangers of a frail faith in an attempt to maybe redirect or refocus or even to keep us on track with our faith in God. 
Faith, again, I think I may have mentioned this to you Sunday. It is a very elusive concept. When we begin trying to uh, reach out there and grasp it, it's really hard to wrap our mind around it. And uh, uh, it, it seems to be a word that is very hard to define. Nevertheless, we have scripture, we have example, and the best that we can do is just trust it. Right? So everyone that is honest with themselves and God will tell us, I will tell you that I wrestle with faith at times. There have been times in my own life when the very best that I could do was wish that I had the faith that Abraham had in just one of his pinky toes. That day that he walked Isaac up that hill, tied that boy down and raised that knife and was going to kill him and then God spared that son because of his willing obedience. There are times when the very best that I can do is wish for the faith of Elijah. When he stands facing all of those prophets on Carmel, and he begins to call out to the name of the one true God, and ask him to answer which is the true God, and answer by fire from heaven. But that kind of faith eludes me at times. I'm just going to be transparent with you a little bit tonight. These men are in another league. They really are. When I read through the Old Testament, I see these people. I envy their walk with God, their relationship with God. And a lot of my my favorite heroes, I appreciate Paul. I love Paul. I'm thankful for his contribution to all that we have and know from the mind of God that he penned. But most of my heroes are from the Old Testament. And the ironic thing about that is I've got the advantage on these people because they didn't have the Holy Ghost. Nevertheless, we jump back into this right here and I realize that I'm honest with myself, I'm honest with God, and I'm telling you tonight that sometimes we wrestle with unbelief. I want to tell you that you're not backslid because that happens to you sometimes. You're not on your way to hell because I just I'm, my faith is wavering right now. I want I want to say some things tonight that hopefully you can take this away and you'll be able in those times if you're not wrestling with it now just hang on you'll get your chance. But during those times maybe if you're taking notes tonight I'm going to give you three ideas that would possibly help you during that next little situation where I just am I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Okay? We believe at times. But we wrestle with unbelief. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat. But there was just enough unbelief to cause him to sink. And every one of us experienced that at times. We do great things. We accomplish something great. We have a great time in God. We, we, we have this victory, and then the next thing we know is we're getting hammered by something else, and we wonder, where's God? You know, I mean, really, is God even, did he take a nap or something on me? I don't know. But so, I'm just telling you, these are things that I wrestle with at times in my own walk with God. We all experience times where we wonder, would it be easier? Would it be easier? Instead of trusting God, sort of like the man's walking out in the woods one day, he's hiking. And uh, in the course of this trail, he slips and stumbles over the side of a cliff. About 20 feet down, he's able to grab hold of a branch, and he's just hanging there. He looks below him, and I don't know, several hundred feet below him. It's just a straight down drop, and there's nothing but rocks on the bottom. Doesn't know what else to do. He just starts screaming, help, somebody help, help. Is anybody up there? Help. And all of a sudden, there's this loud, booming voice that comes and says, I'm here. (laughs) He's like, who is this? This is God. Good. Can you help me? God says, can you trust me? Yes. And God says, let go of the branch. I mean, that's what God does, right? And what do we do? We do like this guy. He looks around. He's like, is there anybody else up there? Sometimes it's not easy to trust God. 
I mean, think about it. It's another message all by itself. But think about those 11 guys with white knuckles hanging on to the side of the boat. The winds, the waves, water's all in the face. And Pete's walking on the water. He walked on the water. Now we can say Peter was a bonehead. He had a smart mouth. And we can, he was imp- we can say all this kind of stuff. But he got out of the boat. He walked on the water. The problem was when he got out there, he experienced fear because he took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at the wind and the waves, right? And as soon as he did that, that's when it got knee deep and then waist deep and he cries out to God. Why did you, why did you wrestle with unbelief in this moment, Peter, when Jesus reaches out and pulls him back up? And, by the way, he walks on water a second time because they got to get back in the boat. This time he's connected to Jesus, right? And and the Lord's asking him, why did you he's wrestling with fear? Why did you fear? Why did you why did you have second thoughts about what you were doing here? See, that is the problem. Sometimes just this is a freebie. But sometimes we wrestle with fear, and if you're not careful, you're gonna convince yourself that you are trusting God. It's just shaky times right now. The problem with that kind of thinking is you've been deceived by fear. See, fear is the twin faith, uh, the twin foe of faith. The reason that I say that is because both fear and faith believe what they cannot see. Right? Anybody ever say, I'm afraid of the dark? You're not afraid of the dark. Dark never jumped on nobody and gave them a black eye. You're afraid of what might be in the dark. You're afraid of what you cannot see. We're afraid of what tomorrow holds. We're afraid of what this decision might entail if we step out and make this decision. But I'm telling you, any time that you put your faith in God, you are still believing what you cannot see. After all, that is the definition of faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when you do that, you will never fall flat on your face. Right? How many believe tonight that when you trust God, you're not going to get your knees skinned up? I am not telling you that it's a cushy life trusting God. Because we do go through the test at times. But I am telling you that if you will just keep your faith in God, God will bring you all the way through whatever. And we need to make up our mind that it's okay for us to go through stuff. We don't always have to go around or over things. It's like if you read through the first several chapters of Acts after the the birth of the church, you see that there's great uh, persecution comes on the church. And what do these people start praying? They don't say, pray God, take us out of here, get us out of here. They prayed for boldness to preach Jesus. They were asking God to bring them all the way through this thing, right? And that's what we want to do. That's what a healthy, vibrant faith does. Is it realizes that there are going to be winds and waves and the boat is going to be rocked and there's going to be water coming in the boat. But the faith, the, the faith that we want is not the faith that goes down to the bottom of the boat and says, Jesus, would you come help us bail water? The faith that we're talking about goes down there and says, Jesus, can you come up here and talk to the storm? That's what we want to do. That's what we're reaching for tonight. So, a frail faith is weak. It's not substantial for walking with God. You're not going to make it if every little crisis that comes in your life... Now, this is Wednesday night and we slow down a little bit, so is this okay? It's, it's, it's not substantial for walking with God. Every little crisis that comes, if it knocks us off our feet, we're going to... At some time or another, we just need to pull our britches up and be a man and a woman and say, Look, life gets hard from time to time. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to walk out. I'm not going to, you know, have pastor for dinner every night with the kids sitting there listening to me bash him. Or, You know, there's ways that we destroy our faith. There's ways that we wreck our confidence in God. And we don't want to live that way. We want to live in such a way where God could be pleased with us. He could put His favor on us. He could put His blessings on us. The only way to do that is with a growing and a vibrant faith. And the way to have that is you've got to recognize what faith is not. So we talk about a frail faith tonight. 
So I have to remind myself sometimes I can't make it with a frail faith. It's not God's, it, it is God's will that my faith is always growing. So now the first thing that I want to tell you comes from verse 17 and 18. The, the father comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him and throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes with his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him and they could not do the job. Okay? Number one, a frail faith always miscalculates the power of the adversary. Now let me explain this one to you. A frail faith always miscalculates the power of the adversary. Now Peter writes and tells us in 1 Peter that we need to be sober. We need to be alert. You need to wake up. Come on, we got to snap to it. Why? Because the devil is your adversary and he is walking around and he is looking for prey. He's looking for whoever he may Not possibly, but whoever. Let's think about that word may right there. Looking for whom he may devour. He is looking for the people that are living in such a way that their lifestyle is giving him permission to destroy them. So wake up. Be sober. Be vigilant. Jesus taught us that the thief doesn't come for any other reason than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Paul also wrote... And he told the Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your husband, your wife, your school teacher, uh, your boss, these are not your enemies. So don't think that way. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age. Spiritual wickedness in these high heavenly places. These, This is our enemy. But see, here's the deal. When we are wrestling with unbelief at times and we have a frail faith... We don't take this kind of thing serious. We hear Jesus saying that the, that the thief is coming and he's going to steal your walk with God. He's going to try to uh, kill your prayer life. He's going to try to wreck your faith. But we don't take that serious. Because our faith is in a condition where we're not, it just doesn't, that's not significant to us to be able to think that way. Now, I need to show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to connect these dots here for you. Again, a frail faith miscalculates the power of the adversary. If you back up three chapters, don't do it right now, it's your homework assignment. But if you back up three chapters to Mark chapter 6, the Bible says Jesus called the twelve to himself and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. When you drop down to verse 12, it says, So they went out and they preached that people should repent. And verse 13 says, they cast out many demons. And anointed people the one who was sick and they healed them. But they cast out many demons. Now, we jump right back down to Mark 9. This man brings his son to him who's got a demon. Now, they've already done this. Why now can we not do this? And as a matter of fact, if you read the parallel passage of this over in Matthew uh, chapter 17, Jesus answers the question when they say, Lord... Why couldn't we do this? He said, because of your unbelief. Okay, now let's connect this dot. It's a little bit of a stretch, but here's what I'm telling you tonight. Somewhere between Mark 6 and Mark 9, these guys had experienced a victory, but because of this, I don't know any other way to say this, They had experienced this victory right here in Mark 6. They cast out a demon just like this kid right here. Now they can't do it. It sounds so typical of us at times. We experience something very powerful in God. A blowout Sunday service. Somebody gets healed. A couple people are baptized. Somebody gets the Holy Ghost. I mean, we just have this rocking awesome service. It's okay to miss Wednesday night. I'm still full from Sunday. It is never okay to relax after a victory. <clears throat> and this is what I believe happened right here in the, in the lives of these disciples. They had been given power over this, but now they couldn't do it. And when they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? He said, because of your unbelief. They believed before, now they don't. How does that happen? Other than you just relax. 
And it only took you three chapters to get to a place where you could no longer do the work of God. And, and the reason that this happens is because we have this fragile faith that at times it tempts us to say, look, God did what he did Sunday and you're doing great and you're doing awesome and it's Wednesday and you're tired. And you're doing fine. And who knows who's preaching tonight? It's probably that little short guy from Georgia that preaches forever. And you're not going to get home till late and you've got to get up early tomorrow. So we're just going to sit this one out. And sometimes after we experience a success in our life, in our walk with God, in our prayer, wherever it may be, it is very tempting to relax a little bit, to be able to coast and just kind of bask in the victory. And when we fail, when we do this, we are failing to take the power of the adversary serious. And what we are doing is we just let our guard down just a notch. It's not, we didn't backslide completely. Now, as a pastor, I'll tell you, I think you're backslid when you can't come to church. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is because sometimes life happens and you just, there's no way around it. I'm not making an excuse for laying out of church. You ought to be here every time the doors are open. But what I'm saying is sometimes that happens. But when we just, we reason ourselves sort of like Sunday, we have this little logical explanation for why we can't do whatever we're doing. We just lower the wall a notch, just enough for the devil to be able to come in. And you're living in a dangerous area when we do that. And when we do that, you know what happens? Is eventually we will not take it serious to the degree we will not be praying like we should. We will not have the faith that we should. It's, it's wavering at times. We're going to find ourselves, you know, we're filled up on Sunday, but by the time Tuesday and Thursday get here, you know what's happening? Is we're sinking and we're waist deep in water because we were walking on the water Sunday, but now something happens and we, we're not in church right now, right? We're not feeling the presence of God. The faith of each other is not blending together and we're on top of the world right now. Right now we're living out in the real world where where rubber is burning against the road. And we're looking around and we're seeing all the stuff come against us because of everyday life happenings. And it just comes against us and our faith begins to wane. And in those times we are letting the wall down and we begin to not pray like we should. We think, well, I'll just get through this the best way that I can. You know, God understands. God's going to work with me. God will forgive if I were to do it. I mean, I just told a little white lie. I just did this just this one time. No, no, no. It's never okay to relax. It's never okay to sit back. It is never okay to underestimate or to miscalculate the power of the adversary. Your faith will continue to suffer. Your faithfulness will continue to suffer. Uh, you know, we don't have time to get there on Wednesday or we can't make it every Sunday. Why? It's too much of an inconvenience. But let the doctor tell us we've got cancer and we'll be there every time the door. And I'm telling you, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. God honors. I mean, he, he deserves better than that. So I don't want my faith to waver. I don't want to just pull out this faith and dust it off when I'm in the middle of a crisis. No, I want a strong and a vibrant faith that says, you know what, even when I'm on top of the world, I still want to be in the house of God. Even when I've got money in the bank and my bills are paid, I still want to walk with God. I still want to worship God. I still want to be in the presence of God and His people. I want to get to the house of God where I can hear from the man of God. I can be with the people of God. I can hear the word of God. I can feel the power of God. God's press. I want to be there. A strong, vibrant faith will tell you, you can't back up one inch. You cannot back down one little bit. Why? Because the devil's going to come in and he's going to destroy you. So you can't afford to relax. Don't believe that lie that is straight from hell. You've got to keep moving. You've got to remain faithful. You've got to maintain momentum in your prayer, momentum 
faith and momentum in the Spirit of God. A strong faith does not miscalculate the power of the adversary. Rather, it believes greater is he that is in me than the one that is in the world coming up against me. You know what? You can't, you cannot miscalculate the power of the adversary. The problems that are coming against our teens are too serious for us to relax. The problems and the attacks that are coming against our marriages and our homes is too serious for us to coast. You're not going to make it without God, so don't try. That's the point in a nutshell right there. So there's never an opportunity to squander. We take advantage of every moment of prayer and worship and preaching and everything else that it takes. You have to have that to live for God. Please don't go out of here tonight thinking, I, can, I, I love God and I read my Bible every day, I'm going to be saved. No, 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 it takes more than that. I commend you, you've got to do that. You have to take care of the daily disciplines. I'm not dismissing that, but I am telling you, you're not going to be saved without the people of God. I mean, did not Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments. You've got to do this. Did he not say, love one another? Okay, well, it's all connected in there. I can't just be an island under myself and think that I'm going to be all right. That's, that's not going to fly. Verse 19. And he answered him, his father, uh, this crowd of people around him. I, I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus looks around. He said, oh, faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I... Well, the King James says, suffer with you. But how long do I have to bear with you? I say, how long have I got to put up with you? Bring him to me. Number two tonight. Let's move along here. Number two. When I got to quit? Okay. I'm trying to pay attention to the time here. Number two. A frail faith can exhaust the limits of God's patience. A frail faith can exhaust the limits of God's patience. Mr. Ray, are you trying to tell me tonight that God wrestles with being patient with people? There is an entire nation of His chosen people. He left out in the wilderness. Here's how that happened. Wandering to them was pointless. Right? Why why was it pointless to these people? They never got that. Because they never grasped the idea that every time that God made a way for them, he provided for them. He, he met a need in their life. He, they never got the fact that he was exercising patience in an attempt to get these people to trust him. He had shown himself powerful back in Egypt. I mean, ten plagues, one after another, boom, 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 all the way down to the death of the firstborn. I mean, he showed them his power. They get out of Egypt and the first obstacle, they start whining. Moses says, people, come on now, just calm down. God's in control. Just be still right now. Okay? We tell them, just shut up. Listen, see what God's going to do right here. Okay? Right? And then there's this wind that blows all night, parts of water, and they walk through on dry ground. Not mud. Dry ground. Get to the other side. Egyptians like, oh, well, look at here. And they take off down there and waters comes in and kills them, right? God, there's two miracles right there. So don't miss, well, there's actually more than that because if you look on the other side, uh, the Lord's evidently got a sense of humor. And that night while the wind's blowing part in the waters, the Bible tells us the Spirit of God comes down and takes all the chariot wheels off the chariots. And these guys are not very bright and they still try to get in the chariot and ride them. It just didn't work. So there's a bunch of miracles, you know, the cloud, and there's a bunch of stuff going on here. But anyway, they get all the way to the threshold of the promised land. How is it that they did not get in there, right? Hebrews 3 tells us it was an evil heart of unbelief that kept them out. 
And it was their unbelief. Read frail faith right there. It was their unbelief that pronounced upon them their own curse and their judgment from God. See, when, when, um, here's how fed up with, with people God can be. At that point in time, uh, God calls Moses up into the mountain on Sinai to give him the law, the governing law, and and so forth. Moses is up there for 40 days, right? And it's during this time that the people become very restless. They begin to ask Aaron, who is Moses' brother, they begin to ask him, you know, what's the deal? Your brother, where's he at? Did he abandon us? I'm sure they're probably asking uh, lame questions like this. But they come to him and they say, look, we want you to make us a God that we can see and we can bow down. We want to be able to worship this God. Aaron evidently was weak because he did this. And after God had finished giving Moses all of the law and so forth, and he he told Moses then to go back down to the people, and he explained to Moses what had happened uh, and what they had done while he was away. And the Bible teaches us that God's anger was very hot against Israel. But Moses stepped in and he interceded for these people to the point. Hear this. In Exodus 32 it says, Lord, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book as well. The Lord responded by saying, I've seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. So leave me alone that I can destroy them, and I'll blot their name out from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater. than." He was willing to lift off of Abraham that covenant promise that he made and place it on Moses because he was so angry. Now, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I pastor a great church there in Macon. And if God ever come to me and says, I'm going to kill them and get out of my way, I'm going to back up and say, knock yourself out, God. I am not about to tell him, well, if you're going to kill them, just kill me too. I am not praying that prayer. Y'all are going down by yourself, baby. Enjoy the ride. I told you I'm going to be real, right? Just just trying to... I'm just human. I'm just a man. (laughs) But God used miracle after miracle after miracle, provision after provision, to prove Himself. When they got hungry, we got manna and we got quail. When they were thirsty, we got water out of a rock. We got bitter water that was made sweet by a branch, uh, whatever. We got water, right? Why was He doing this? To prove himself, but they never got it. See, they were always they were always focused on going back. Every time they run into some snag in the trail or a bump on the road, it was like, Why did you bring us out here to die? We could have died back there. Why couldn't we go back to Egypt? There were cemeteries back there. We could get a you know a nice tombstone back there. Why'd you bring us out here to starve to death? We had food back there. See, their problem was they always wanted to go backwards and die and God's will was to go forward and live and they never got it. They never got it. And in the process of not getting it, they frustrated the level of God's patience with them. See, God's patience, it can be, it can be exhausted when it does not serve its purpose. I've seen people, and I grew up, you have to understand my background, I grew up in this thing, I'm a third generation apostolic pastor, okay, this is all I've ever known, but I have watched in my 42 years of living, well, we're just going to take the last 20 of that, I have watched in the last 22 years of my living and being involved in ministry full time, I have watched people come and go, and then come and go, and I've watched them get sick, and they come back, and God will heal them, and they go right back out, I have watched... And I have watched those same people get to a certain place in their life where they prayed and God did not heal them. Why? Because they're going to come back and they're going to get saved and they can make it to heaven with cancer because they're going to get a new body over there. But they can't handle healing over here. Why does this kind of stuff happen? And the only thing that I can tell you is at times God says, I am not going to heal anymore. I am a healer, yes, but I don't have to heal. And what God 
is looking for is not just somebody to heal. The world is dying of all kinds of diseases. What God is looking for is people that are interested in relationship. And God will go to the extremes to get people in that. I mean, after all, did he not leave his throne in glory and come down and robe himself in flesh and walk among his creation knowing he was going to be despised and rejected by his own people? So God is willing to go to extremes to be in relationship with people, but his patience can be exhausted if it does not serve its purpose. And tonight I want to tell you that a frail faith will exhaust God's patience. It will put you in the wilderness and it will keep you in the wilderness. It will keep you outside because instead of seeing a land that flows with milk and honey, you're going to see giants and you're going to see walled cities and you're going to have the perspective of your enemy. They were not like grasshoppers in those giants' eyes. They just said, we think we're going to be like grasshoppers in their eyes. A big difference there. And a frail faith is what feeds that kind of thinking that keeps you living out in the wilderness. And God is wanting to bring... When they were there at Kadesh Barnea and they made that last little goof there, you know how far they were? According to one source, it was like 50 miles We could walk that in just a couple of days, stepping into the promise of God in just a couple of days of sucking it up and moving into where God wants us. But no, we wanted to whine. We wanted to bellyache. Why? Because that's what a frail faith will do to you. It'll do to your walk with God. It'll kill your prayer life. But when you say, God, I want to be baptized with a genuine faith. I want to grow in faith. I want an increasing faith. That will take advantage of God's patience. It will take advantage. Now, I'm going to be real here with you. There are times where we fail. We blow it royally. But even in those times, we have to get back up off the carpet and we have to get up in a spirit of repentance. We have to get up in a spirit of humility and we've got to get up in a spirit of dependence upon God. Why? I want to take advantage. God's being patient with me. He didn't just destroy me because I just made a bad decision. So in those times that we do mess up, how do we get ourselves back on track? You repent. You get it right with God. Put it under the blood. Put it under the blood. This is what David prayed. When he had committed this sin with Bathsheba. And the prophet walked in. Preached to him. His personal sermon in the form of a parable. And David said as a result of that parable, this guy needs to be taken out and he needs to be strung up by his toenails. And the guy looks at him and and he tapped him on the chest and said, You are that man, David. You are the one that did this. And what did David do? He fell on his face before God. And he said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Now I'm going to just read this to you because it's a powerful prayer. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And it's against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. And then he says, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And do not cast me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I'm talking about God. I'm relying on your patience right now. I am pleading you right now. Would you please, would you please be patient with me? Remember the frailty. Remember the bones you've broken. Remember I'm just human. Cast me from your presence. Don't take your spirit. Why did that get included in that prayer? Why did he say that part? It was because the king that sat on the throne before him lived in a way that displeased God and God lifted his spirit off of him. And I cannot help but say that David saw this and he remembered that time when he knew he was the one that was called in to, to, to appease the spirits that were attacking Saul. And he was saying, you know what he was saying? God, I don't want to be in the same condition that man was in in the latter years of his life. He didn't repent. 
covered over, just covered up, made me look good, made me look good. And that's not what God is wanting. He had frustrated the patience of God. He had exhausted the patience of God to the point God lifted his spirit off of Saul and said, I found a man. And he's got my heart. And I'm going to anoint him. Sometimes your faith may waver, but you've got to reach out to God and you've got to have this. You've got to have God's help to help you overcome that unbelief. Lord, Lord, I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. But this strong faith, you know what? You know what we do when we've got a strong, growing faith? It wants to crucify this frailness, this fragileness about our faith and says, I know I can't live that way. I'm going to acknowledge the fact right now that just sometimes I waver in my faith, but I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to question His Word. I'm not going to question His will. I don't know why I'm going through this storm right now, but I know God's got His hand on me. I don't know why the doctor gave me this report, but God's going to bring me all the way through one way or the other. I don't know why I lost my job, but I'm going to trust God. He gave me this one. He'll give me another job. I'm going to trust God. That's what a strong and vibrant faith does. I heard Brother Scott Graham preach one time about a lady in in his church that had cancer, and God healed her. I forget the kind of cancer it was. God had healed her of this cancer, but it was just like two or three years later that she goes back to the doctor and, and she uh, discovers that this same exact cancer comes to her. And so she knocks on Brother Graham's door one Sunday morning and says, Brother Graham, I need to tell you something. And, and she says, you know, a couple years ago we prayed and God healed me. She said, but I just got back from the doctor this week, got the report, and I've got the same, I've got the same cancer, Pastor Graham. He says, oh no. She says, no, 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 that's a good thing. He's like, what? What are you talking about? She said, that's a good thing. He healed it before. I know for a fact he can heal it again. I'm telling you right now, that's what a strong faith looks like. Look at it on the surface and say, it does not matter what comes up against me. I can stand. It don't matter what comes attacking me. I can stand because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is the power and the force at work in my life than the force and power that's working to destroy me. I can't do anything. As long as I've got God giving me the strength to do it. He provided in the past, he'll do it again. Don't. Let's move to the next one, verse 20. And they brought to him uh, this little boy, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit gets a hold of him. He falls on the ground, he's wallowing in the, in the dirt, and he's foaming at the mouth and stuff. He speaks to his father, how long has this been going on? He says, since the kid was just a child. How? And, and, and it sometimes takes him and throws him, in, the, and the spirit tries to mimic. The evil spirit tries to mimic God's way of doing things. So here's fire and water here, but it ain't working for the devil, right? And so here we've got, he's trying to destroy him, but if, everybody say if. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, what was, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Number three tonight is a frail faith underestimates the power of God. A frail faith underestimates the power of God. See, a frail faith sees God as just one of many options. You know, if this don't work, we'll give God a shot. I don't know if y'all sing it, and please forgive me if you do, okay? But years ago, we used to sing back home, when you tried everything, and everything has failed, try Jesus. What are you smoking? <laughs> Rip that page out of the book. Just We don't need that one anymore. Let's save ourselves a lot of heartache and grief and let's just don't sing that one anymore. Well, I ain't tried everything. I guess I need to go out here and <laughs> I'll try something else. I, don't, I mean, come on. Right? Okay, but anyway. This father's desperation had gotten the better of him. And he came to Jesus. He said, Lord, if if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus replied, if you can believe. 
See, here's what Jesus wanted us to understand. Deliverance for this boy did not totally depend upon Jesus' power. Jesus had frequently shown that he had the power over demons and unclean spirits. Now we know this, right? This is part of what got Jesus in trouble all the time. And so what he did here is he put the if back on the Father to help him and us understand that some situations are not a matter of whether or not God can do. But it's whether or not I can believe that God can do what needs to be done. See, we don't get to be robots once we're baptized. We're still emotion. We're still will. We're still intellect. Right? The three parts that comprise us as human beings. Will, intellect, and and God baptizes all that, but He doesn't take the human nature completely away from us. This is why we still wrestle with unbelief at times. This is why Paul gives us this great discourse on killing the flesh. Just do it and do it every day. Right? He puts it back on him and it's like Jesus is saying, Sir, you are a victim of frail faith. And that frail faith is going to rob you of something that I am perfectly capable of doing for you. But if you will believe me, I can handle this. And that's when this man looked at him and said, Lord, I believe, but I'm having this battle. Help. Help my unbelief. And Jesus does this miracle. Genuine faith does not underestimate the power of God. Let's wrap this up right here. It believes that all things are possible to him that puts his faith in God. It is this kind of faith. When you read about this same story in Matthew 17, it it says if you have this kind of faith as a grain of a mustard seed. Okay, now that's not just this little itty bitty grain of a piece of faith that you live your life. No, no, no. It's something that starts off really small, but then it blossoms. That's the idea of faith as a grain of mustard seed. And he said if you have this kind of faith, you can, you can pluck up a tree and throw it out there and you can move a mountain. You can do all this. That's what a genuine faith does. A genuine faith believes that sometimes we, we fight and sometimes our joy is robbed of us. But a genuine faith believes I'm not on the bottom. The joy of the Lord is my salvation. It's my strength. I'll get that back. That joy can be restored. That our minds and our bodies can be healed. Genuine faith believes that marriages can be healed. It believes that God watches over his people, but when we wrestle with a frail faith, we tend to wonder about these kinds of things. And I want to tell you this right here, God can be no greater in your life than your frail faith allows him to be. He can be no greater in your life than your doubt will allow him. You mean I can tie the hands of God? I am telling you exactly that. Your doubt binds God. It ties his hands behind his back, metaphorically speaking. God can do no greater thing in our life than a frail faith allows him. That's why we need to bring a frail faith to him and say, Lord, I believe, I really do believe, but I want to believe more. I want to believe more. Help my unbelief. God is all-powerful, right? God is ever-present. He's everywhere. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. He is faithful and just to forgive. Uh, A frail faith don't see none of that, though. And so tonight, in closing, I am asking you to put that frail faith on the altar and kill it dead. And walk out of here tonight in the confidence that God is all-powerful. He can do anything. That He doesn't always think like we think. That's what Isaiah was teaching us. My thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. My my ways are higher than yours. As, as the heavens are higher, so are my ways and my thoughts are ways. They're far superior to yours, right? And then we hear something that sounds very similar to that over in uh, Paul's teaching to the Ephesians. He says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Remember the English lesson, lesson Sunday morning? His ways are higher. 
And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now, let me just give you an illustration to tie all this up right here together. I'm not smart. I got this out of a book. Okay. A light year is a unit of astronomical distance equivalent to the distance that light travels in one year. Okay. Now, let's just get a little perspective on what this looks like. The sun, now you got to listen very closely to this or you're going to miss this. The sun is approximately 93 million miles away from the earth, right? I'm sorry, did y'all just check out on me? <laughs> Watch me now. We got to get this. This is just cool. Okay, this is the fuzzy point we leave on. The sun is approximately 93 million miles away from the earth. If you could drive to the sun in your automobile, you could travel at 65 miles per hour for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It would take you more than 163 years to get there. Okay, that's a long ways. Would you agree with that? Okay. All right, so the light that warms your face on a sunny day left the sun eight minutes ago. Okay, now we're just perspective, the distance, okay? Now, in one minute, light travels 11 million miles. In one day, light travels 160 billion miles. In one year, and here's where we are with the light year, in one year, light travels approximately 5,865,696,000,000 miles. And that makes a, a light year. There's not a test on this, okay? Just relax. So according to the astrophysicist, the outer edge of the universe, now I don't know how they did this, but it sounds really good when you're preaching. <laughs> according to these guys, the outer edge of the universe is 15.5 billion light years away. Okay? Now, I said all that to say God holds the universe in his hands. And if he's got all that in his hand, I think he could probably handle our problems. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. <laughs> Let's stand. But seriously, think about this. In light of all of those, now I know you don't remember the numbers, just remember it's like mucho big, right? It's huge. No pun intended, it's astronomical. <laughs> Nevertheless, let's put all of that right next to, please don't miss this, let's put all of those facts right there up against Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you may ask or think. Here's what I want to leave you with tonight. On your best day, when your faith is at its highest, your very best thought falls 15.5 billion light years short of how great and how God, good God really is. It falls at least 15.5 billion light years below what God is able to do. God is able to do 15.5 billion light years beyond what you and I could ever ask or think. Just wanted to leave that with you tonight for what it's worth. Does anybody want to pray for just a few minutes before we dismiss tonight? The altars are closed. I don't know how you do Wednesday nights, but just do it however you do it. If you all want to sing, that's fine. Let's just pray. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.